episode 44. I am your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. Today we're discussing DS9's seventh season episodes, The Siege of AR-558, Covenant, It's Only a Paper Moon, and Prodigal Daughter. The Siege of AR-558, Season 7, Episode 8, Production Number 558, Original Air Date, November 18, 1998, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Hans Beimler, Directed by Winrick Colby, Music Composed by Paul Belergen. Guest Cast Include Raymond Cruz as Vargas, Patrick Kilpatrick as Reese, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, <coughs> Annette Held as Larkin, Max Gradanchik as Rom, Bill Mummy as Kellen, and James Darren as Vic Fontaine. <laughs> front lines on the barren planet AR-558, Cisco encounters Starfleet troops that have been decimated during their five-month occupation of the largest Dominion communications array in the sector. Determined to help the commanding officer, Nadia Larkin, and her troops, Cisco stuns his crew by announcing that they are staying at the site indefinitely. If you really cared about Nog, you would never have sent him out on that patrol. Now you listen to me, Quark, because I'm only going to say this one time. I care about Nog and every soldier under my command, understood? Every single one. All right. <clears throat> well, this was a um, slightly controversial type of episode for, for Star Trek, especially, you know. Star Trek doesn't basically doesn't get this dark most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, now, I remember this episode as being a big deal at the time. I remember being like, oh my god, I can't believe they, they did all these things at the time that it first aired. Um, I don't... It doesn't seem like that way watching it now, I guess, just because modern television yeah. has come a long way. Um, but do you guys remember? Do you guys remember at the time? That it, was it as crazy a big deal as it seemed like to me? Yeah, I remember it feeling very dark and serious and some... Un-Star Trek-like, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wasn't offended or something by it yeah. because it was un-Star Trek, but it did seem different, certainly. Well, it was, um, you know, it was an honest look at kind of how things are on the front lines. We had a lot of, you know, what was it that came out around that time? Um, Saving Private Ryan, I'm not saying it influenced or not, but I mean, I kind of felt like this was, you know, this is more like a Battlestar episode than a Star Trek episode. Mm-hmm. When they when they first land and uh, I think it's the lieutenant, the woman says like cease fire, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> like oh my gosh, she said damn it. It reminded me of <laughs> I know this is a stretch, and our listeners are some of them are young and they're not gonna remember this, but Transformers the movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> when I was a little kid, and somebody in the movie who's I think it was Matt Matt Mag- Magnus. Ultra Magnus. Yeah. Ultra Magnus, right. He says, open, damn it, open, when he's trying to open the <laughs> Matrix uh-huh. of Leadership. And I was like, oh my God, he said, damn it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the same feeling I have watching this episode, because damn it in Star Trek. Anyway, um, so that's that's how they start off to be dark and gritty. Somebody says, damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah. a warning in front of this episode. That's you know? right. <laughs> uh, um, what do you think of this one, Steve? I, I really like it. I really like it. It's um, um, yeah. It's 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 just so um, it's so weighty. It's got such weight, and it, it needs to be. You know, if you're going to talk about, if you're going to address war. You know, at some point, you can't just have everyone's fine all the time, and people just get blasted, and you don't see any kind of injuries or blood, and it just all kind of goes on. You know, it gets kind of it gets artificial, and it was good that they they got serious and um, you know, did did something during the war like this. You know. I did like it a lot. Well, they do a good job of setting up um, basically characters so that they can kill them. You know, they're not going to mm-hmm. kill any of, any of our regulars. Although they do, you know, remove Nog's leg, um, mm-hmm. but they're not going to kill Nog. But they do do a nice job of setting up some regulars. Um, I don't remember everybody's names. I think it was Vargas, right? He was the. Um, he tells that story about. Yeah. Yeah this captain or the captain or somebody that he didn't like that got killed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That actor is very good. He's, I've, he's been in lots of television and film that very good. Um, and he does a, he's a, does a great job. You know, that's, it's a difficult thing I think to have, to have kind of a buff guy, you know, to have yeah. the soldiery kind of guy break down like that in a believable way. But, you know, he did and it works. Um, you have Reese, the like super, 
super soldier guy that's just totally lost it, like the the Adam Baldwin character from Full Metal Jacket or something. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, Billy Mummy. I forget the name of his character. Uh, Kellen. Kellen, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, playing kind of the the normal, you know, the, the normal guy, the engineer guy. And mm-hmm. um, I don't have any questions about him because he never played any of the Star Trek, but of course, we all love him from his other television performances. I'm not the biggest B5 guy, but... Um, Certainly, uh, Lost in Space and Twilight Zone, but anyway. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it was, so it was very cool to see uh, Billy Mummy, and he's got that kind of quality where you kind of feel it for him when he dies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they do a nice job of setting all these different characters up so that they can kill them and have you feel something. <laughs> uh, Caesar, what, what are your thoughts on this episode? Um, yeah, it kind of gets really to the heart of it. I mean, they do a good job, like you said, setting up. Uh, you know, you caring about these um, these characters and what they're going through. Um, it's kind of very subtle too. I mean, I, well, I mean, I guess they set it up because they pit. Um, they kind of pit. You know, you see these Starfleet officers not you wouldn't see in a normal situation. They're very much under stress. I think Quark had a very good um, description of how humans can be, especially when they're put in peril like these these soldiers were mm-hmm. put in. So it sets that all up very nicely that. You see that these people are in peril, and they could be a very much on deadly edge. Um, and it, it was enjoyable to watch. It's, I think, you know, as, as real as probably they can get in Star Trek to the actual. Yeah, that was lines. a nice scene when uh, Quark is talking about you know you take away their creature comforts, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they start to become this kind of base species, and they will fight as viciously as any you know uh, Klingon or whatever that that whole that that line was nice but actually you know if I have I, I like this episode this is a very good episode and we're going to talk another episode today that I happen to think is a great episode and if you know it's proximity to that episode maybe you know, keeps keeps it in light for what it is mm-hmm. but I think it's a I think this is a very good episode I think that the, the questions they ask in this episode that the, the stuff they discuss that they have attempted to discuss before, they do so better in this episode than they ever did before. Mm-hmm. Um, but the couple of things that bug me in this episode, one, uh, Quark, yeah, I, I do like that scene. I like his lines there. Um, but I still feel like, like I do in so many episodes in the seventh season, that he's pretty unnecessary. I mean, it feels like a stretch that he's with them in the first place Yeah, to me. you know, And he feels like, a little bit he feels like out of place in every scene you know he doesn't he has something to do but it feels made up i guess from from mm-hmm. a writing standpoint you know so that kind of bugs me and then the other the other minor thing that bugs me is you know that you know they're trying to do this dark episode not just figuratively but literally you know we've got this this dark planet and these thick caves and whatever but it really does feel like we're on a sound stage the whole time and Mm-hmm. That takes away from the power of the battle to me, and I don't, I don't know. I think nowadays they probably they could do more with um, I don't know the skies and filling out the background, make it feel a little more mountainous with CG or something. But but these are these are minor comments, you know. For the most part, I think the episode works very well and it is very good. Um, that the sequence with the final battle, I think, is is quality wise that's on par with any battle sequence that they've done any uh, like mm-hmm. hand-to-hand combat sequence they've done um but because they do it with a little bit of a different tone you know you've got that well it starts with the vic fontaine music and then i think it goes into some score but you've got that music that's playing against the scene you know it's a very different style of music it's more emotional and slow and and um it, ju- it goes on for quite a long time i'm not sure what the running time of that battle sequence is but it's pretty lengthy actually mm-hmm. um but the also thing that, the other thing that makes that battle sequence so effective, probably the single thing that makes it the most effective, is because in a way we're kind of leading up to it, we're anticipating it the entire episode, and we literally have time before it begins where they're just sitting there waiting, you know. And I think that stuff really helps sell um, mm-hmm. the battle, and that's kind of what I mean. I've never been in war, but that's kind of my image of what war is, you know. Uh, I forget. Some general said something about you know that war is this. It's like hours of boredom punctuated by moments of terror or something to that effect. You know, and I mean that seems um, 
uh, pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think you know uh, this episode. What's it about? I mean, I, as I said, I think they've just they've had this. They've asked these questions before. We had the episode uh, with um, Jake and was it Jake and Bashir? I think. Oh, yeah. Down. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know that episode asked similar questions. Um, I, maybe that the episode where they are holed up inside that Jem'Hadar vessel crashed on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That one probably asked some similar questions, but I think this one, because the in the other episodes they were too constrained with what they could do in Star Trek. Um, I think. I think because they kind of took some of the shackles off here, they were able to not just answer that question better than those other times, but answer these these kind of questions about the futility of war. Um, I, I guess I'm suggesting that maybe the other times they were incapable of answering the question, like they failed at answering the question a little bit. But here, I think that they probably succeeded. Um, so, so what do you guys got for what it's about? Well, it's about our mind. I mean, it's kind of to me. It's kind of straightforward. It's about um, the perils of war, what you, what you know, you're, you're faced with in a, in a dark way, and how you come out of it. Um, and you know, there'll be we're, we're going to follow this episode up with how you deal with these traumatic situations in your life, and it just it, it shows shows the dark side of war. I mean, it's not always glamorous. I mean, it's not glamorous. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd written down war is hell and it's not glamorous things like that it's 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 futile and it um you know ultimately it it rarely seems like it's worth it you know one any particular situation any particular battle or whatever you have to question okay are all those lives worth whatever was gained and you know that kind of thing you know i try to imagine i mean i have my own family now and these are people that i'm that close to I, i don't think I, I can't imagine anything that would be worth it. I guess is the long, the short of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing, nothing could be worth that. You know, um, I, I like the sequence in this episode, uh, and it's just like one little line that Ezri has, and they don't dwell on it. But you know, once they get the uh, the Houdini mines, which those are pretty horrific, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but get them all to appear. Um, and then they move them into like a, a ravine or something so that they can use them against the, the Jemadar. You know, and Ezri says something like, we were just saying that how horrific these things were. This is the kind of thing that we would never use, but now that we can control them and we're going, we're going to use them. You know, we're going to be exactly mm-hmm. this evil. And said we weren't, we were better then, right? You know, and um, Cisco and I think Reese both say something about... Um, well, they were basically saying they want, they wanted less Jemadar coming through that um, that ravine to, to fight. I mean, basically, I mean, it was it was kind of like an us or them type moment. And then there's that yes, we have these these great values, but <laughs> down to it, we're willing to jettison them so that we can win. Yeah, you know, stay alive. And we've seen that from Cisco before. He's um he's um you know he's he's. You know he he will win when he when he feels like he has to he'll he'll bring he'll cut through the the you know all that moral issue and just do what needs to be done. I one thing I um, that DS Nine does maybe more than any of the other series is that the show has consequences, um, and I one thing I like about in in this episode you know Nog losing his leg. I think that's a. I mean, it, it's good that we get to see that, and, and of course, it's going to provide us an episode that they can discuss that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Do you, does that? That's a big deal to you. Does that seem fair? I, I was watching this episode with my wife, and she turned to me and said, "Yeah, it's the you know, twenty fourth century or whatever, and they can probably just fix that real easy, right?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. Yeah, it seemed it seems still seemed like a, a big deal. At least, a, at least fairly a big deal. I mean, yeah, you're because you're familiar with the universe, you're cognizant of the fact that it's going to be it's fixable. It's not as big of a deal. As someone losing their leg now in this time, but it still it still felt pretty consequential. 
Well, plus you had to live with not having a leg for a while. I mean, you would think like if you know you're on a starship and there's some sort of accident, you lose your leg, and it's immediately you're it's replaced. Now I had to you know he had to sit with that yeah. at least for a while at least, and you know I don't have a leg anymore. So mm-hmm. it might have been and as a 24th century thing, it might have been a little bit more traumatic to have to you know sit on that for a while. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about on this one? I don't think so. So we all good. Six degrees for the siege of AR five five eight. Do you guys notice that the name of this episode is like the production number? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Adam. Yep, yep. Patrick Kilpatrick plays Reese, the friendly Federation soldier that wears Ketrasil white tubes around his neck that were collected from Jem'Hadar that he has killed. In Voyager's second season, in the episode Initiations, he plays the Kazon leader Ratsik. Ratsik orders a young Kazon boy named Carr killed after he fails to kill Chakotay. What DS9 actor played the boy Carr? <laughs> the actor's name, it's, well, it's Nog, and not, his name's not coming to me, so have at it, Steve. All right, yeah, Aaron Eisenberg. You are correct, Aaron Eisenberg. Uh, Steve. Yes. Annette Heldy plays... Nadia Larkin, the Starfleet officer that is killed when Nog is shot. In Star Trek First Contact, she played a different Starfleet officer that gets assimilated by the Borg. In what year was this film released? What year First Contact was released, the film? That's correct. It was uh, 1996. Yes, and for no bonus points, what month was it? (laughs) Um, Was it uh, December? It was November. You were November. Right. Oh, okay. Anyway, you got the points. Two, two right. Moving on. <laughs> Covenant Season 7, Episode 9, Production Number 559. Original air date, November 25th, 1998. Written by Rene Echeverria. Directed by John Kretschmer. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Mark Alemo as Gold Ducat. Norman Parker as Vedic Fala, Jason Leland Adams as Binion, Maureen Flanagan as Mika, Miriam Flynn as the midwife, and Mark Piatelli as Brynn. Vedic Fala, a Bajoran monk and Kira's former teacher, pays her an unexpected visit. He gives Kira a crystal which transpo- transports her to Impoknor, where to her horror she is met by her old enemy, Dukat. He is now the leader of a Bajoran religious faction, which worships the Pa race, the corporeal enemies of the Bajoran prophets. Dukat wants Kira to join his followers on the abandoned Cardassian space station. Dust. That's all that will remain of my passage through this misbegotten universe, Nerys. But it doesn't bother me. Because I know I'm going to be with the Pop Wraiths. How many times have we heard Ducat say, I am a changed man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it seems like we've heard him say that a lot. Um, but <clears throat> he usually, I don't know, maybe he doesn't always believe it, but here he believes it. As Kira points out, that's what makes him so dangerous, is that he really believes um, that he is the Pa Wraith's emissary, which is that is such a wonderful little sentence even. You know, there's so much in there of like the way not just that he thinks of himself, but the way he thinks of himself as as Cisco's foil, and the way that um he's jealous of uh the way the Bajorans feel about Cisco and he wants that same thing, but it's the, the flip side of it. Um there's so much in that line. I always thought they should have made a little more of it. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't know that they ever reference it again or said much about it here um but uh this is a very intriguing episode to me i remember this episode very well too i remember this episode as really um kind of surprising i guess um it was a cool direction to go with ducat you know we, we we left him we left him without a lot to do on the show because <laughs> he, you know, he's not really a part of the war anymore. Um, but the way they bring him back to keep him, a, you know, kind of a villain, and then of course we know where this is going to go. The next time we see him is going to be during that ten episode finale arc. Um, 
so it, it it works you know this this episode really works and there's a lot of moments that um i i remember the first time <laughs> you know i remember that moment of seeing uh the miracle baby you know he brings his baby out and it's you know, the half Cardassian baby and you're like oh my god he didn't you know and then still being the most amazing moment in the episode is whenever he's able even at that moment he's able to look at it and think for a moment and then turn to all his followers and say it's a miracle it's the miracle baby <laughs> you know the pa race are giving us a sign you know and and that they all believe it you know it just makes me think about kind of the you know the difference between a cult and just religion um okay the uh the, the most intriguing thing here is um uh shoot what's that vedic's name the character the vedic uh fala. Fala. Fala, right, right, Fala. Um, you know, Fala obviously believes that the Pala wraiths are the true gods, and, and Kira believes that it's uh, the prophets. And I think it's Kira has the line, you know, well, yeah, right, Fala says, uh, let's just agree to disagree, or something to that effect. And then Kira says, we can't both be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and in that one little line, to me, it's like the origin of <laughs> half the wars or more yeah, yeah. in the history of this planet. Half of them maybe were fought from from for, for economic reasons, uh, and then the other half were for religious ones. And the religious ones—that's what it is. It's 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 a group that feels the other people are wrong, and they you know, have to stop them or whatever. Um, or they need to show them the right way to think. You know, it's the inability. It's, it's it, when you have two things, when the whole point of the faith uh, says, this is the way it is, that is incompatible with somebody else feeling the same way about a different religion. You know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. only way it works to me is whenever you can somehow kind of think that Everybody has the same basic idea, and then we just all get there different ways or something. There's, you know, there's something very peaceful about thinking about it that way. But that's not how most people think of religion. Yeah, yeah. you know, even in this country, in, in the United States, I'm talking. Um, sorry, I know we have foreign listeners, um, and I'm sure it's true in your countries as well. <laughs> even in this country, mm-hmm. we have different religions, uh, and some of them feel that the other guy is wrong. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking in here, but. You know, this is the kind of thing that I that I that I appreciate about this episode because it's not. It seems a little bit nutty at first, but it's a cult, you know. And a cult. What is a cult? But um, a hyper extreme religion. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this, Steve? Yeah, um, yeah. I was I was hitting that same way with this. I I, I it was kind of powerful in that respect and. Um, yeah, it, it just—I don't—I don't know. It, it, yeah, it really kind of reflected the the cults that we've seen happen, um, and the and the and the negative consequences that have occurred in some of these small groups of, um, you know, followers who are very adamant about it, and especially following one individual to some kind of demise and so forth. And it was definitely a reflection of that. And I felt that. Uh, it, it it was it was it was interesting to take Dukat to this place, but I wasn't also wasn't shocked to see this because it's kind of it's almost like that character one is gonna is gonna make himself appear in some way, shape, or form. If you take him out of uh, the military, you take him out of off the Cardassian homeworld, do whatever you do with him, that character is always gonna rear its head again, you know. And and here we are, and of course setting up for the uh, the finale of the whole series a bit too, you know. But um, yeah, it was very interesting this episode. One of the things I like here too is, um, we, when we've seen this with Kira before too, uh, it, she has that scene where she tells. Now the the, the episode opens with her. I, I think she comes. She had just come from a uh, Bajoran ceremony that that kind of discussed um, uh, services rather that that discussed forgiveness. Right. Mm-hmm. She, scene later in there when when Vedic Fala is saying to. Can he even be allowed to still be a Vedic if he's worshiping the Pavets? You would think that he would probably have. I would think. I would think not. 
but uh, I don't know. So uh, Vedic Fala, um, when she says, Kira says something about uh, how can you be in with Dukat? He killed millions upon millions of our people. And Fala says, you know, you need to learn to forgive. And uh, Kira, you know, be the, be the better person and forgive. And Kira says, some things can't be forgiven. Um, and we've seen that sort of concept from Kira before, um, but practically, Ducat is like the one person that I think she cannot ever forgive. And yeah. I, I'm kind of on her side. I, 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 again, I wish I was a better person, but you know what? I'm not. I kind of agree with her. I don't think I could ever forgive him. <laughs> I was her. Um, Caesar, what do you think about that? Is it well, fair? I would have, well, yeah, definitely. I think it's fair. You know, with leading up to the to this to what when Dakot and Cisco were on that moon and they kind of had it out. Up to that point, we kind of saw, Dukat, at least for me, I kind of saw Dakot as Kira saw him. She always kind of, there was always something there that kind of wanted to give him a chance just because she's kind of that person she can forgive. I, I feel like she is that kind of person who can forgive. And up to like a season or so ago, I think she wanted to believe that Dukat could be a better person, especially because of his daughter and those kind of things. But um, after after that episode with with um, him and Cisco on that world, I'm I'm not surprised by it. I'm just kind of, you know it's kind of like cre- it's even more creepier. But it was you saw it in Kira. She never believed him for a second or ever gave him an inch. Whereas maybe in past seasons she would at least hear him out. And this one she was just like you're. You're evil. You're bad. You know, I'm not going to be fooled by you anymore. Um, it's kind of how that's kind of how I felt as a viewer. There's nothing redeemable about him anymore. Well, yeah, I think, and I think part of it is is that he um, he just he's either always deluding others or deluding himself or both. You know, because you, it's always that he's saying he's like you said, I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. But there's he always will do something despicable and um, and how many times. Is that going to happen before you just say, you know what, um, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to play that. You're, you're wasting my time thinking that you're going to redeem yourself. You know, I, I don't want to be a fool. You know, so. Well, he he does do some despicable things in this episode. He uh, he tries to kill Mika, and when that fails, he tries to kill everybody mm-hmm. except himself, of course. Um, Solely so because he would rather – it's like this sense of um, he would rather they die believing in him than go on and lose their faith in him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, is that uh, extreme faith in the Paul Wraith? Or, no. I, I, no, <laughs> I think maybe with someone else it could be. But yeah, I'm agreeing that with Dukat, it's just extreme love of himself and a need that, that – fundamental need he has for everyone to to love him and worship him in a way finding him here um with the uh Pareth cult uh it's like the perfect place for him I mean, it's like yeah. you know maybe it's well he wants sm- to be cisco yeah it's exactly it's a smaller scale than he would like but this is his, this is what he's always wanted in a way. Mm-hmm. He's literally being worshipped. I mean, well, I don't know about literally. I guess they're worshipping the pot race, but you know, close. Yeah, yeah, as close as he's going to get. Yeah. yeah. Um. <clears throat> so he doesn't do anything in this. At this point, he's not doing anything. Even when he, even when he plans to have every, you know, mass suicide, he doesn't do anything in this episode. So that surprises you guys. No, no, no. It's no. pretty sickening. Even you know, but I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, why does Fala take that pill at the end? Why does Fala commit suicide after he sees Dukat for who Dukat is and everyone else, everyone's really saved? I think he oh. just pushed... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I think he really believed. I think he believed that um, Dukat was a messenger from his prophets and just because he was not a good person doesn't mean he shouldn't have... And he believed... He believed the Pareths told Dukat to have everyone kill themselves. 
himself. So he had faith. When he said faith, it was because he, he meant, I have faith. The Pare spoke to Ducat, and Ducat told me what to do. So I look at he didn't have faith in the messenger. He just had faith in the message. Got it. Is that was that your? Yeah, point? yeah. I think so. And I think he's just the type. It's a sad situation when you put a that type of person, um, put them, pair them with a type of person Ducat is. I mean, it's it's the perfect, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Somebody someone taking advantage needs. of someone else situation. Yeah. Because this guy is. He's someone that has to have faith in something, you know, in some res- respect. He lost faith in whatever it was, so he latched onto this, and nothing is going to sway him from it, you know. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, that's that's so often how cults develop. Yeah, you've got a lot of people that are in that are in cults. They were probably they were raised, uh, maybe in a traditional religion or something. They 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 were they were used to believing in something, having faith in something. And when they lose that faith, they need to replace it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what's it about? We kind of touched on it already, I'm sure, but... Well, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, the, the dark side of faith. It's the notion that when, yeah. whenever you absolutely put uh, totally blind trust into something, you, you're open to being taken advantage of, more or less. I definitely side. agree. Yeah. yeah, put it on the head. Dark side of faith on the head. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you got, Caesar. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I could elaborate more on what Stephen said, but I mean, it's it, it's pretty plain and simple. They're not trying to to mess with you here on this one. I mean, you look at what's going on and how Ducat wants to be Cisco, and this is his weird, perverted way of becoming Cisco and having vengeance at the same time. Um, and he's using these people. He's manipulating these people. What he, what he's been doing probably since the beginning of his Cardassian career. So um, um, cults are strange, unusual things, and you get to see how one operates in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to a um, Star Trek convention, for example, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> not a cult <laughs> per se. Uh, well. We share some elements with us uh, fans of Star Trek. Anyway, um, now for the record, I was lumping myself in with I am one of you. you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the You're risking the whole get alive thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I'm I'm in the crowd. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Of course. Yeah, we uh, okay. So moving on. Six degrees for Covenant. I believe it's wow. Steve, do you have two? Yep. Are you cheating or something? Yes. Okay. Adam. <clears throat> yep. Norman Parker played Fala. Jason Adams played Benyon. Maureen Flanagan played Mika. Miriam Flynn played Mika's midwife. And Mark Piatelli played Bryn. What did all of these actors have in common? They were all Bajoran. Well, they all played Bajoran characters, yes, but I'm looking for something else here. <laughs> You're looking for something else. Um, think, about, of, think about the six degrees of <laughs> oh. our trivia. How does it, how does it work? <laughs> They've all been in previous episodes of Star Trek? No! That's what, if they had, that's what I would have asked about. Oh. This was our, no, this, so this was their only episode of Star Trek? Right, none of them were ever in Star Trek again. <laughs> okay. But you know what? You're right, they were all Bajorans, so I'll give you that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when well, you ask this kind of encompassing question, it's like, we're humans, you know? I mean, what are you going to say, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, unfortunately, you know, this was a tough one to ask our regular six degrees. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, sure, we'll say two to one. Uh, Steve. Yes. Again. I, these people were not in Star Trek again, so what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I, I like this actress, so I'm gonna, and I like her roles, so I'm going to ask. Uh, name the film series in which Miriam Flynn, uh, Mika's midwife, played Clark Griswold's redneck cousin's wife. Uh, the uh, vacation movies? That's right. She was very <laughs> funny in those movies. Anyway. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's her. That's her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know I'd seen her somewhere. I just wasn't registering. Funny. Right, right. Uh, moving on. <laughs> 
It's Only a Paper Moon, Season 7, Episode 10, Production Number 560. Original air date, December 30th, 1998. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, story by David Mack and John J. Ordover, directed by Anson Williams, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Max Kordanchik as Rom, Chase Masterson as Lita, Tammy Adrian George as Kesha, and James Darren as Vic Fontaine. After losing his leg in battle, a somber Nog returns to the space station to recuperate. The true cry, try their best to cheer him up, but the young Ensign is struggling both emotionally and physically to cope with his disability, even though his new biosynthetic leg works perfectly. After pushing everyone who have tried to help Nog, he decides to take his medical leave in the hollow sweet world of 1962 Las Vegas lounge singer Vic Fontaine. I could die tomorrow! I don't know if I'm ready to face that. If I stay here, at least I know what the future is going to be like. You stay here, you're gonna die. How crazy is this? I don't think this ever happened before or after. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. This entire episode is all about supporting characters. It's featured without our main cast. Yeah, I don't. I certainly don't think it's been done to this extent any time. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's pretty crazy. Even crazier is that it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it totally works. This is the episode I was talking about earlier when I said I really believe this is a great episode. I, I'm shocked that it's so good because it doesn't. I wouldn't have expected it to be so good. If mm-hmm. you told me what it was about, I would think that's going to be good, but I wouldn't have thought it was going to be great. And I think this is a great episode. I yeah. think it completely holds up. All the questions that asked are, t- are totally valid. It's in sense entertaining, you know, and the performances are, are great, which is so crazy, you know, like who would have thought? Um, and I love James Darren and I love Aaron Eisenberg, but I, I, I don't know that I would have thought they could carry an episode as the leads, mm-hmm. um, for, you know, um, but they totally do. Um, mm-hmm. Am I gushing um, unnecessarily here? Do you guys? What do you guys no, think? No, I, I agree. I think it's. I think it's. <clears throat> yeah, to their credit as actors, but also to the you know to the script and the story. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. just it's really solid, really solid. Season. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, um, who says we didn't have any Frankie episodes this season? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really cool. I mean, it's a kind of a cool concept to think about, like how you get through, you know, that kind of thing. And we've seen a lot of. Um, holographic episodes up to this point um more so in voyager which is going on simultaneously so i think it, they were able to you know you know having the holographic doctor and voyager and explore a holographic character on a daily episode basis they were kind of able to take this chance and go this way and, and see what would happen and especially with the big Fontaine character he's um he's basically a living breathing character i mean you can just say he's a full made up of photons and lights but he's he's actually much closer to the the holographic doctor from Voyager. Yeah, yeah, he really is. You know, he has <clears throat> he has his own like needs and desires, and I don't know that we've ever really seen that before this episode, but we see it in this episode in, in, in a way that that humanizes him uh, permanently. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, like whenever, kind of near the end, whenever Esri and it's such a smart little scene. She's so smart. You know, you can see them both. They're both on the level, but it's it's still so pleasant when she's like, oh, I see. Yes, this is all part of your plan. It's all part of your ploy. And now that he's walking without the cane and he's better, you're going to tell him that he has to go or something to that effect. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was my plan all along. But, you know, it's, it's clear like, hey, he's really enjoyed this time not only to, to be on all the time so that he can live a full life, but the time he spent with Nog and all this stuff. Um, and he didn't want it to end. You know, this was his, he, these were his needs that maybe he, he didn't know he had, but he was enjoying it and he was going to be sorry to let it go. But he understands, you know, that Nog can't Nog, stay there. The getting, yeah, getting Nog back to his family and people that love and miss him is the most important thing. Um, I got to say, too, though, one of my favorite scenes in this episode. It is one of the few episodes that, I mean, excuse me, one of the few scenes, if not the only scene, in the episode that does not have um, either Vic or Nog. And that's mm-hmm. the scene in the, um, uh, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. They don't call it the ready room, whatever they call it, uh, with um, 
with uh, you know his family and all the main DS9 crew, and they're talking about what they should do about Nog and this problem with mm-hmm, Nog, and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's not because of, you know, it's not because they need a another person working on the Define or something. It's because they care about him. He is their mm-hmm. friend, and they want what's best for him, and they want him to get better. You know, and it's it's so great that exact scene. You know, the peop- that room they're sitting in, the table they're at. That's usually, you know, talking about official business. But we're mm-hmm. seeing civilians sitting there. We're seeing um, Lita and and um, Rom sitting there. You know, we're seeing them all talk about this their friend that has and and son and whatever. Uh, and we have gotten close to him in the same way they have after all these years of this of this show. And uh, I really, really like that scene. And it's just one scene. It's one small, short little scene in this whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and Jake's there too, right? Um, <laughs> he hits Jake in this episode. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, pretty yeah. crazy. Um, you know, that's a testament to their friendship. They, <laughs> you know, they survived that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um well, it's not really surprising. I mean, you know, look, look at the friendship they've developed over the past seven yeah. years. I mean, you know, we talked about how Nog is, you know, this was kind of a, a B-driven story episode, but I don't, I don't really think of Nog as a, a B character or anything like that. Like, because we know so much about him, he's been he's been there from the beginning. Um, um, Aaron Eisenberg did a great job developing the character, the writers, and everything. And you know, you can really really feel for for Nog in this episode and, and see where he began and where he is right now and it's um it's 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 a great episode especially this for this season and they were able to fit it in was nice yeah even right down to um I mean how does it how does it end you know it ends with the Ferengi family you know um mm-hmm. embraced um, yeah it's such a sweet little moment. It's just a tiny little moment, but it, again, it works. Um, I can't talk about this episode without saying how much I love Ezri's haircut. <laughs> Get that out yeah, of the way. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's important. It's an important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, there are so many nice scenes in this episode. What, what is your favorite scene in this episode? Oh, wow. Um... I I don't I I don't know there we've already talked about a lot of the the best stuff I I agree with what you've said I I um I did like um I like the the old movie references and them talking about things within the culture of that time period some you know that was just kind of fun when they're watching TV, not yeah. wearing a sixties sweater like he's on Mac <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's really cool yeah <laughs> uh, Caesar what what's your uh, you have a favorite scene here. Um, I would say, obviously, um, for me, it was just, you know, when Vic was basically breaking up with Nog, you know, not only just the apartment scene in, in Vic's apartment, but also, you know, when it's just them two in the Hollow Suites, and, you know, um, it's, it's really great dramatic acting, and you kind of, you feel, you feel for both of them, because you know what we, we talked about earlier, we know what Vic's going through, we know what he's going to be giving up by having Nog leave mm-hmm. sooner than later, and, um, um, it's just, yeah, you just, you just feel it there, and it was that's I enjoyed it. Yes, those two because those two characters never met before this episode. Who would have guessed they would they would play so well together? You mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah. I love that moment too. I I love that there's like this extra, you know. Uh, uh, Vic says you got to go, and he's computer and program. He, he shuts himself off, but that's not the end of it. You know, I love mm-hmm. that he's uh, Nog is trying to get the program running. Miles comes in and says eh, he's he can do what he wants. Basically, Miles leaves, and then Vic just kind of appears. You know, in yeah. kind of the empty hollow suite. I love that there's that extra moment because yeah. it it makes sense that Nog still isn't there and he hasn't gotten there yet. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, scene where he kind of breaks down and says, "I'm scared that I could just die at any moment." Um, yeah, it's great. And you think about um, these are the kind of fears, and we've seen this analyzed in in, in plenty of uh, of other media as well. But that that does seem like what would happen, you know. Even just, and this is just the time. I'm not tr- trying to really compare this to, you know, uh, battle fatigue. But on a tiniest scale, if you're in a car accident, you know, for me, like 
was in a, in a couple of bad car accidents. And like afterward, the next time you try to get behind the wheel after you're in a bad car accident, you know, it's it's a totally different experience. You know, it's scary just to go out on the road at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, want to? Um, it, it 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 changes it changes your perception of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can scarcely imagine what it would be like um, to be in um, some horrific battle, you know, and then try to reintegrate into my life. Um, and and it's it's particularly interesting that this would happen to Nog because we have seen him. Now this is what happened a couple episodes Siege of AR five five eight, but but we've always seen him be such a gung ho like like totally yes sir let's do it we can we're gonna win and you mm-hmm. know he's very uh, much like that and then he he gets stopped by this yeah. and it changes his perception you know it changes who he is and even in this episode by the end of it he says you know no I'm not okay but I'm I think I will be and it's not that he's gonna I mean, he's never going to be the same again. Still, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's good. And that's this is what I, I'm talking about. Is it's it would be disingenuous if he didn't have consequences. And for as much as I love all Star Trek, that's what this show does does do so well. And certainly, the original series, you know, there was nothing. A character wouldn't have changed like that. Right. Even next gen. Uh, you know. We we can talk about that. <laughs> we'll get to next gen soon enough. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Could have done more to have real consequences, um, but but here they do, and and I believe it, and it makes it makes his character, um, and and this episode also, as I mentioned a minute ago, it shocks me in that it advances Vic's character. Mm-hmm. Advance a. This holographic character. I see what his needs and wants are. I see um, um, what's important to him. Um, I see that he values getting Nog back to his family more uh, than getting to live his own life. Um, so it's. It, I love this episode. This episode blows me away. I mean, I really think it's good. I think it's. I think it's in the, certainly in the top ten of all DS Nine episodes. I really do. I think it's that good. Sure. And it and it's shocking to me. That it's not about our principles, and I'm always going to be shocked about that. Hmm. Um, and it, well, what's it about at the end? You know, it's clearly it's about this this person getting over this fatigue. And and for me, I I love the moment when Vic says, you know, if you stay here, um, you're going to die little by little. But if you get out there. You just got to try, and you just got to be in the be in the game. He says, "I like that." Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you gotta you gotta be out there. You gotta live to live. What do you guys feel it's about? Um, yeah, it kind of sums it up. He sums it up all there in that last line there. And so it's a great scene. Yeah, I concur. It's a very it's a very rich episode because you could you could you could kind of dive into layers of this. I mean, you have the 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 big idea of the recovery process and and learning to learning to live again after something traumatic has happened to you. And you also touch on issues of, of kind of a little bit of like codependence, you know, because Vic is a little reluctant to let this go too. You know, they they that you get you get in a little you get in your own environment, a couple people, and they and they work well together, and you can kind of have your own little world that's totally separate from the outside, and uh, just just kind of pine away at that and and uh you know life passes you by or something you know i mean it's it's, it's interesting you know and it's and it's not easy it is scary um but you have to go you have to get out there you have to keep just keep getting up and i love this episode <laughs> i think you can I, I think you can take so much out of it in every aspect of your life so let's move on to six degrees for its only paper moon. Um, yeah, same problem here. <laughs> Obviously, I've asked about these people. Before. What are you going to do? Um, what, what's your score? I think it's two one or three one. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I don't remember for sure. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Steve had one, and then we did this thing, and I gave that one to Adam, and uh, Steve got that. So yeah, 
It's 3-1. Okay. Okay. I just couldn't remember that last question. Okay. <clears throat> you did. It was vacation. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. Okay. Steve. Yes. Um, Tammy Adrian. Tammy Adrian George. Right. Tammy Adrian George plays Jake's date, Keisha. Uh, she played a soldier in what 1997 sci-fi film from Paul Verhoeven? Mm-hmm. This movie, but I love this movie. Oh gosh! Um, From a novel by um, Heinlein. Hmm. Sorry, um, screaming at their speakers right now. <laughs> I don't know. It's not Star Trek, folks. That's the thing. See, uh, Adam it does have a star in it. Starship Troopers. You're correct. It was Starship Troopers. <laughs> said i know i'm the only person i know that loves that movie but i do <laughs> it's, so, so it's a guilty pleasure brian I, I like I it know, too i have seen that and i didn't think you would like it that's what threw me there you go well there you go uh three <laughs> uh, um adam Worf is only in the beginning of this episode in all likelihood where is he after that It's only in the beginning of the episode. Um, it's probably on the Defiant, listening to opera. I, I don't know. No, that would not be the best guess, Steve. <laughs> um, would he be uh, on the Enterprise? Correct. No. Yeah, in- <laughs> in- Insurrection, right? No. <laughs> yep. Move on. Prodigal Daughter, Season 7, Episode 11, Production Number 561, Original Air Date, January 6, 1999, Written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle, Directed by Victor Lobel, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Kevin Rahm as Norvo, Michael Salazar as Janelle, John Paragon as Bokar, Clayton Landy as Fuchida, and Lee Taylor Young as Giannis. Sisko is furious when he learns O'Brien has vanished while on a secret trip to New Sydney, where he was searching for the widow of a criminal named Bilby, whom he befriended while undercover. Because Ezri's family owns a mining operation in the system, Sisko asks her to find O'Brien. Ezri returns home where she reunites with her dominating mother, a shrewd businesswoman, and her two brothers who work for the business. I'm fine with the way things turned out, really. Besides, they need me here. To do what? The family bookkeeping? Norvo, you could do so much more. Now, this is a good example of how far DS9 has come because <clears throat> every season has that episode that's, they're like, this is our bad episode, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the first season, move along home, right? Yeah. Even the last season, Profit and Lace, but this season, the. The episode everybody making the show thought was the terrible episode was Prodigal Daughter, this episode. Mm-hmm. This episode, no, it's not any good. But it's not terrible. It's not bad like that. I mean, it's not, you know. So it's yeah, like, you yeah. know, everything is kind of moved. All the quality. The bottom has moved up. Mm-hmm. See, so that's not so bad. That shows you how great uh, DS9 is. Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys want to say about this one? Yeah. <laughs> all right, good night. All right, all right. <laughs> well, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of get some background on Ezri really all in one episode, just get it all out of the way, you know, to kind of build that character. Because, you know, obviously they're in the last season, so they don't have a whole lot of time to build up Ezri. So they just kind of do a lot here in this episode to kind of give you who she is, who she used to be before she became Dax. Yeah. So in that respect, I was it wasn't it was an unsatisfying um it was kind of, kind of hodgepodge. I didn't, you know, the they whole. They should put that on the thing. back of like the box for this episode. <laughs> it is not unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever critic calls it, not unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I agree that I, I like that. I, I love that they give her a little bit of backstory here. I remember her going home and seeing her mother. You know, they don't have a lot of time here, and and they they set it up pretty cleanly as far as. Um, we see what kind of mother she is. We see the the issues that that has caused. You know, this dom- domineering mother and the issues that's caused for her brothers. And and you know, she got out of there as soon as she could. And you know, I see all that, and that's cool. And um, and honestly, uh, De Boyer, De Bauer, she does uh, 
she does great work. I I still love her. I love her as Esri. I think she's she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and she holds the episode together, even though her character doesn't really have much to do. Oddly, that's you know this is one of those things where the more you think about the episode, the more it kind of falls apart. Yeah. Um, narratively, but like her, so her character doesn't really have anything to do here. Um, Miles maybe had some things to do, but we don't see any of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, what's what's he doing? Why is he? Yeah, is, yeah is, hanging, that's the biggest thing. I mean, he's hanging out on the couch in a nice, mm-hmm. in a nice shirt and pants. What we see him doing is nothing, and what we know he did is is crazy. You know, yeah. it's yeah, it's need to see. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm not the only person. Every time they talk about Bilby, I. I I'm thinking Bilbo. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like why did Bilbo Baggins' his widow? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was confused. But, I didn't know he was married. Yeah, Bilbo. Yeah, I don't remember that either. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's, um, well, he did have a ring, though. <laughs> 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 um, no, my favorite thing in this episode is some of the the – I don't know if it's a map painting or what, but the some of the design stuff that the exterior shots of their house, mm-hmm. their mining, the mining facility and their house and all that stuff in the cliff, that's beautiful. I love the way that looks. Yeah. It's really yeah, great. Yeah, they did. They did a good job setting this up as kind of not a great world. It's just all mining and industrialized. So yeah, you got a yeah. nice setup for that. Unfortunately, when I say that's my favorite thing about the episode, it's not a good thing. And again, you know. This is in context with we just we just talked about an episode that I said I think is in like the top ten for the series. Right. Uh, this episode isn't terrible. It's just not any good. You know. <laughs> you know, to, for me, it's a really good example of a, a differing viewpoint from when I originally saw it. I mean, I don't know exactly what I thought when I saw this the first time, but I didn't. I, I uh, disliked it less back then. I think I think the primary reason for that is that over time I've I've got more of a critical eye about things and it, on what and what I emphasize too when I observe Trek. I mean, in in a way for for fans there's there's a coolness factor because you get background on a character, you have um, so reference to a past episode. Um, and these kinds of things, and that's all cool from a fandom perspective, but uh, certainly from you know, analyzing the episode and, and what it has to offer, and, and you know, and from a critical standpoint, you know, that's that's where it starts falling apart. And I think, uh, you know, the episode really kind of ends on a downer. You know, obviously her her brother's the murderer, and you know he goes to prison, and then. You know, you had this character Bilby from the you know previous episode where O'Brien befriended, and then you kind of find out that his wife was not the most, yeah, you know, great person. You know, so it kind of it kind of ruins that storyline from that the previous episode. You know, we find you know she's a kind of a nefarious, nefarious person as well, and you know, it's just it it kind of yeah. kind of unravels there all at the end. Like even the ending is kind of, um, you know, not unsatisfying. <laughs> he just he sits there and he says, "No, I am responsible. I should have gone home a long time ago." And then just walks away, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah, doesn't feel like much of an end. I mean, I I think that that could have been the ending if she'd had some something different. If her character had had something different to say. Yeah. Um. You know, I I like that she sees she's the one who, who uh, when she's in the room with her brothers and her mother, and her older brother is saying. He didn't kill um, Bilby's widow, um, and she can see that Norvo has something that he needs to get out or something. I, I like that she's the one that sees that again. She's not really doing much. Mm-hmm. Um, he could Norvo could have just as easily never said anything, and yeah, he's kind of wanted to get caught. I think a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. See, I don't even have a lot to say for this episode. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. What I'm thinking about, it, and also another downer scene, you know, when the, the last scene with her mother, she's like, you know, obviously, you know, you can, you can see, you know, that she caused this, and you know, obviously, you know, in the demeanor. So yeah, it's kind of all kind of a downer <laughs> there in the last five ten minutes or so. This isn't my fault, is it? And Esri just doesn't answer and walks away. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's a pretty you powerful know. scene, but yeah, it's kind of a pretty downer. Kind of how their relationship will probably be. Looking well, because, like going forward. Because I'm not as engaged in the episode as I needed to be. Because mm-hmm. I think it's not as good as it, as we would have liked. Um, that scene doesn't mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I get what I'm saying. 
Which, which I think it's unfortunate because I think there was the potential, if, you know, there, it, there's a train wreck kind of in this one, you know, there's a lot of problems, but there was the potential to say something because for me, I mean, I'm sure you're getting to the point of what would it be about? And we've already kind of concluded this isn't such a hot episode, but I think it's trying to be about the notion of that we're all responsible for our loved ones. We're all responsible for those close to us. If, if we don't take action, when we see that there's a problem, we're culpable in in the demise of an individual and what they do in some respect. To me, that that's what it was trying to say. But um, I, I, I would I would agree and, and disagree with that. I mean, you know, um, I don't think they they didn't write it very well, and it wasn't really mm-hmm. acted very well by O'Brien there at the end when he's like, "Oh, it's not your fault." I mean, I think they could have been, you know, because it really. I mean, what are you going to do when? Obviously, the character Esri had to get out of that situation, or she would have been just as crippled as her um, siblings. Mm-hmm. So, is it her fault that her brothers, you know, you know? So, it, it's a fine line. Is she responsible for not? I, I would, I would agree with the bad way they portrayed it with through O'Brien that she wasn't responsible. But obviously, you know, she's going to carry that guilt mm-hmm. going forward. You know, this episode famously was written very 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 fast they kept having problems it was originally totally different and they they kept changing it and changing it and they probably by the time it was what was actually shown what they what they actually shot the amount of time they spent writing that i'm sure it was less than almost any other episode you know yeah, yeah. um but we don't we can't evaluate based on that we evaluate based on the episode um we watch it yes that's how we do it it's <laughs> 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 and you know, I, I wonder if if they had not even had any of the Miles stuff in there and Bilby's widow. You know, I I think that if they had just done it as Esri goes home and has some things to do with her family, yeah, could have been. Yeah, I think that could have worked better too. That that probably would have right. worked better. You know, yeah, yeah, but because there's a little bit of having tr- for me, there's a little bit of having trouble dis- with the suspending disbelief when that whole, it's a small world problem. Sometimes it's <laughs> too small of a world. It's like, what, you know, the, the Bilby is connected. The wife is connected to Esri's family. You know, it seems like kind of nuts. It's a small yeah. universe, Steven. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> um, okay. So we've even talked about what it's about. Anything else on this one, guys? I think we're good. So, you know, I don't hate this episode, um, but it has some holes. That's for sure. You know, um, my wife is watching this series for the first time and she watched the other three episodes and then this one she was busy and I said I don't think you're going to miss anything if you don't watch this one <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't unsatisfying Brian yeah it was it was not unsatisfying this episode <laughs> and now for something that will be deeply satisfying six degrees for prodigal daughter our current score is I believe four to two yep okay um, Adam Worf is not in this episode. In all likelihood, where is he? What? Is he aboard the Enterprise? <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> he is probably aboard the Enterprise in the bri- in the Briar Patch. <laughs> on the I don't because, know. How you- he's got a big pimple on his cheek too, doesn't he? Oh yeah. <laughs> or whatever they call of Klingon pimples. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Zort or something. <laughs> something like that. Then that's my question. The next one. What do you call a Klingon pimple? <laughs> So yeah, this is like none of these people were in uh, Star Trek again. These guests, so that's why you get. Uh, so the score is four to three. All right, Steve. Um, Miles begins this episode by searching for Liam Bilby's widow, uh, Marika. Name the sixth season episode in which Miles befriends Liam Bilby uh, shortly before his death. Oh, the name of the episode that we saw. And I'll Bilby. give you a hint if you would like. What? It contains the word thieves. Oh, yes. Um, honor Among Thieves, yes? You are correct. It was Honor Among Thieves. Five to three. Not, not a complete shutout there. Uh, you know, I wanted to say real quick, uh, last week I went to the, um, or week before last, whatever, I went to the uh, L.A. Dodgers Star Trek night thing. It was really cool. Cool. Besides yeah. getting an awesome shirt, which, oh, let me tell you, that shirt was awesome. Um, <laughs> Did I mention the shirt was awesome? Aside from getting a really awesome shirt, which I put on our Facebook page, and I think I, yeah, I put I put like an image of the back of the shirt on the Facebook page, and then the front of the shirt on Twitter. I forget. You can follow us on Twitter at Trek Companion. Our Facebook page is facebook.com/slash Trek Companion. Um, aside from a really cool shirt, 
uh, Bill Shatner was there and threw out the first pitch, and he he announced uh, the players as they came on the field. But the huh. cool thing, the thing I wanted to talk about, I wanted to mention, is afterward they do this every Friday night. You know, a lot of a lot of ball teams do this, but every Friday night they do fireworks, right? Mm-hmm. So every Friday night they let uh, they they let you come out onto the field and sit on the grass and oh, nice. shoot off fireworks uh, over overhead. And for this night, it was all done to Star Trek music. Awesome. Oh, very cool! It was awesome. It was it was so. I was actually pretty emotional about it. They had like themes from every series, um, and then a little bit of music. I think it was from the first film, but yeah, it was really cool. They all, there must have been some kind of a promotional thing with um, CBS because they played they played the the original like eighties um, next gen advertisement for the new Star Trek: The Next Generation series. Mm-hmm. You know, so there must have been some kind of promotion with the uh, first season coming out on Blu-ray. Hmm. Um, but after they played that, then they they just did this awesome fireworks show, all to Star Trek music, which was so cool. That alone was worth the trip. Well, the shirt also, but. Um, <laughs> and the Dodgers beat the Cubs. The Dodgers did. Did you, did you watch it, Adam? Yeah, I got to see some of it. Um, the Shatner throw a strike. <laughs> <laughs> they all. The first pitch is always a strike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did he get it over the plate, or did he throw it in the dirt? No, I think he went over the plate. I don't know. I was in the nosebleeds because that's the only place you could get the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All you can eat section. Oh, let me tell Yeah, I had uh, three hot dogs, two nachos, popcorn, and peanuts, and I did not feel well. <laughs> yeah, you didn't sleep well that night, did you? <laughs> didn't I did not. A bowl of plumic soup, a bottle of Romulan ale. <laughs> Note to the galley, Romulan ale. It's no longer to be served. <laughs> so, um, we're getting so close to finishing this show, and we're so excited to start uh, Next Generation. By the way, um, I think last time we were talking about that it was in, coming up, uh, CBS and um, Paramount, whoever, they have put out uh, information about how you can get your first season next-gen Blu-ray discs with the faulty audio swapped out. I know both Steve and I have already called in, and they're going to be shipped to us, which is great since we haven't started watching them yet because when we finish DS9, we are going to next-gen, and we hope all of you are going to follow us there. Uh, You could leave us a review on iTunes. That's great because um, that's how people find us. Um, I've already told you about Facebook and Twitter. You can send us an email. That's at Trek... Or excuse me, trekcompanion at gmail.com. We are going to see you weeks uh, for the next four episodes of DS9. Can't wait. See you later.